Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcasts at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can also subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at eric, E-R-I-K, dot Anderson at nllutheran.com. Our scripture reading for us this morning comes from 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. Now it is not necessary for me to write to you about the ministry to the saints, for I know your eagerness, which is the subject of my boasting about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you may not prove to have been empty in this case, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you in this undertaking. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for this bountiful gift that you have promised, so that it may be ready as a voluntary gift and not as an exhortation. The point is this, the one who sows sparingly also reaps sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or earned a compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. The word of the Lord. Well, about a month ago or so, I went in for my annual checkup. And you guys kind of know how this works, right? Even if you're feeling fine, you go to see the doctor once a year to make sure that how you're feeling is actually how you actually are doing, right? And you show up on time because you all know that if you're three minutes late, they will boot you from your scheduled appointment and kick you off like months down the road, right? They're very, very strict on that. So you check in, you get your name in, and then you sit and wait 25 minutes for them to be ready for you, right? That's how that works. So they finally call you back. You walk through the doors and then you get on the scale, right? That's the first thing they do. It's wide out in the open so everyone can see you. So it's your first step of public humiliation at your appointment. You get on the thing, the numbers roll up, but luckily they've made a change recently, right? They switched it from pounds to kilograms because they assume that you and the people walking past you are too stupid to do the math. And they're absolutely correct, aren't they? Right? Hey, we won the war. We didn't have to learn that metric system. So you go into the room and you wait for the doctor. The doctor comes in and he looks at that number, right? He looks at your weight 
And then he makes an assessment of your health based on that number. And then he tells you what most of us hear every time we go in there. It's no surprise. He says, well, this isn't quite where we wish it would be. But you already knew that, right? Because you have a couple tools at home. It's called a mirror and a scale. And so before you even walked in there, you kind of knew what was going to be said. But you sit there and you listen. And then he says this, don't worry. There's something we can do, right? Don't worry. There's something we can do. All you have to do is eat less and work out more, right? It's very simple. Just eat less and work out more, which of course you already knew this because this is common sense because what got you into this problem to begin with was doing the exact opposite, right? You ate too much and you didn't work out at all. So obviously doing the inverse would reverse the effect. Well, today we stuck into week three of Erasing Envy. And if you have been with us, you know the conversation we've been having. We have been talking about envy and how disastrous it can be for our lives. How the Bible tells us that it, it, it steals our joy, right? It, it creates disorder and havoc and chaos in our lives. So the question we've been asking week in and week out is, how do we erase envy? Well, see, as Christians, we know that there is a day coming for those who are in Christ, that there will be a place reserved for us, right? Heaven, where there is no sin, which means there is no envy and all this destruction, all this chaos will be gone. But in the meantime, what do we do? Right? How do we deal with these issues in the present, in our today? Well, so because of, of this issue, because of this issue that we all deal with, we've been diving into the scripture, asking that question and getting God's perspective on it, right? Learning God's path to avoid envy and to erase envy from our lives. Now, if this is your first time here stepping in and you're missing out and you're like, week three, I don't even know what happened the first two weeks, you actually can catch up. We have all these sermons online on our website or by our podcast and go right to your phone. You can catch up. But I'll give you a quick recap so you don't feel lost. You see, the first week we talked about the first story in the Bible and we saw envy rear its ugly head right away in the story of Adam and Eve. You say they lived in paradise, right? No pain, no sorrow. They're in perfect relationship with each other and with God. But Satan shows up and he tempts them with envy. He says, if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. And in that moment, they realized that God had something that they didn't have. So they took the fruit and they ate it. And all this destruction, all this chaos that we deal with today is a direct result of the envy that happened in that moment. But as we looked at the story, what we realized was there was a, a critical point where everything could have changed. You see, when Satan had that conversation with them, if they were just grateful for what God had provided, right? If they were just thankful in that moment, they would have rejected his offer because they would have realized how much God had given them already. They didn't need any more. Well, last week we entered into a very difficult story in the Bible. It was the story of a, a rich man taking something from a poor man. Specifically, it was, it was King David and this poor man named Uriah. You see, King David had everything, which, which makes us think, what more could he want, right? You'd assume that, that rich people wouldn't struggle with envy, but that's obviously not the case. Everyone struggles with it. And David saw this man, his name was Uriah, and he had a beautiful wife. And David wanted that wife. You see, this man had nothing but that. He was a poor man who had one thing. But David ended up killing this guy off because of this envy and then taking his wife to be his own. Just a horrible, tragic story about envy. But as we looked at David's life, we also realized there was one critical point when everything could have changed. You see, all David had to do was shift his gaze. 
right? When he saw the beauty of this woman, all he had to do was look away. Or specifically, another thing he could have done is simply look at the reality of the situation. This man had nothing. This man was poor. And if he would have looked at Uriah for what he was really experiencing in life, David would have moved in a different direction. The same is true for us, right? Instead of looking at rich people, if we shifted our gaze to those who are in need, it changes how we view the world. It changes how we view ourselves and what God has provided us. It also changes how we help and care for people who have less than us. Well, today we're going to add into our our third biblical principle, our third tool in our tool belt to help us to erase envy. And so we're going to dive into a, a writing by the Apostle Paul, and this is what he says. Now, it is not necessary for me to write you about the ministry to the saints, for I know your eagerness. As we step into this section of history, we're entering into a conversation between the Apostle Paul and this church in Corinth. And he's talking about something called the ministry to the saints. Now, to understand what that is, we have to understand Paul. You see, Paul was driven by by one specific mission in his life, one specific desire, which is to proclaim the truth of Christ everywhere he went. And so as he went from city to city, telling people about the transformative power of Christ in their hearts and lives, people would receive that truth. And when enough people had received that truth, he would build a church, right? So a group of people would come together, family of Christ. He would get that church functioning. And when it was healthy, he would move to the next city. And he just repeat this process time and time again. Well, after a while, he had kind of built this, this amazing network of churches, And so he thought, how do I keep the health of all these churches moving forward, right? How do I keep them all in in a good space? And so he devised a plan where he would set up a a relief fund because this is what he knew and this is what you know already is that sometimes we're doing well, sometimes we don't do well, right? Sometimes our bank accounts are full and sometimes our bank accounts are empty. And the same is true of churches, right? So as he looked at his, his network of churches, he was creating a system where the people who were doing really well would support the people who had less so that all of the churches could do what God had for them to do. Well, Paul continues, which is the subject of my boasting about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. So he's going on and continuing this conversation and he's talking to them now. He's like, look, You guys are eager about this, right? When I told you about my plan, you were pumped up. You were excited. You were ready to go. You made a commitment and actually took that commitment. And I told other churches about it. Actually used your commitment as a rallying cry to get these other churches stirred up and ready to go and and committed themselves so we could make this possible. So he uses this word Achaia, which is just the region around Corinth. Corinth is the capital city, which is what this letter was written to, right? The church in in Corinth. He says, look, I have been boasting about you guys. And he tells them about this because of this reason. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you may not prove to have been empty in this case. So you may be ready. As I said, you would be. You see, Paul is reminding them of this commitment that they've made. And how he's used it, because he's pointing them to the reality that he's going to send some guys. He's going to send some brothers. He's going to send Titus and Timothy, some other, other gentlemen, to go there and kind of check it out. To make sure it's been going well, right? He wants to make sure that the plan and the commitment is actually happening. Because he doesn't want it to be empty. 
In fact, there's another layer that he doesn't want to experience either. This is what he says. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you in this undertaking. You see, Paul says, when I show up to receive this gift and to share this gift with churches in need, when I show up, more than likely I'm going to have people from other churches with me. And I've been using you guys as a proof text to tell everyone, inspire everyone to be generous. So if they show up and you guys have done nothing, I'm going to look like an idiot, right? I'm going to be humiliated and you will be too. Well, Paul continues. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for this bountiful gift that you have promised so that it may be ready as a voluntary gift and not as an extortion. See, Paul says to him, look, this is what I want. When I show up to receive this relief fund and to help the churches, I want to come and celebrate with you guys, right? I want to come and cheer you on and cheer on what you've done. And I want to just throw a big party because you guys have been so faithful. But what I don't want to do is I don't want to have to come and play dad, right? I don't want to have to come and, and, and smack my fist on my hand, right? And demand my way. I don't want to have to come and say, look, you promised you'd do this. You're not falling through. You have to follow through, right? And honestly, no pastor wants to do this. Paul doesn't want to do this. No pastor wants to do this. To go in front and say, look, you guys promised you would do this and you're not falling through and, and just kind of, you know, bang your fist on your hand and get all worked up. Paul says, I don't want to do that. When I show up, I want to celebrate. I want to celebrate the faithfulness of this church in Corinth. I want to celebrate what we're doing. I just want to be excited about how God is working. Well, Paul moves on. The point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So Paul gets right to the point, right? This is why we're doing this. The reality is if we give a little, we can only do a little. But if we give a lot, we can do a lot. And he's a farming metaphor, right? Which works perfectly in our context, right? We get this, right? If you have a bunch of acres and you only plant one, you get how many crops, right? One acre of crops, if the weather permits, right? Now, if you plant all of your fields and you have a great year, you have a bountiful crop. That's a no-brainer, right? Paul's just speaking to us in common sense. It makes sense. But Paul's saying to the church, is, look, if you guys give generously, we can do unlimited things. But if you're stingy, if you're not generous, the ceiling will be really low and we can only do so much. Well, Paul continues. Each of you, must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And this is where Paul steps right into the middle of the conversation that we have been having for the last three weeks. You see, this is what Paul knows, and this is what you know already, is that by doing the opposite of what got you into the problem, actually will create the solution. For Paul... In regards to envy, if envy is wanting what someone else has, it can be anything, right? It can be a spouse or a possession. It can be a personality, a talent, a skill, a job. It can be a bank account. It can be a car. It can be a boat. It can be a house. It can be anything, right? Wanting what God has provided for somebody else for yourself, right? And just getting caught up and having all that destruction just sit in your soul. Paul says, just do the opposite, right? Give from what you have. Give from what God has given you. And then he tells us how, right? He tells the church how, he tells us how. He says, first of all, make up your mind. 
Right? Don't let it be an emotional moment every time of like, oh, I feel like I should, I feel like I shouldn't. He says, make up your mind. Right? Make a plan. Sit down with your wife, sit down with your family. Make a plan to be a generous person. Make a plan of how you will be generous. Put it into your budget and then give faithfully. Well, then he moves on and says this, and don't do it reluctantly or under compulsion. In other words, when you do it, have a good spirit about it, right? Have a good attitude about it. And then he kind of wraps up the whole thing and says, God loves a cheerful giver, right? God loves a cheerful giver. Now, why? Why does God love a cheerful giver? Well, as Christ followers, right, as, as Christians, as believers, the goal is to be more like Christ. And Christ was a cheerful giver, Right? God came in flesh, lived among us, blessed people, cared for people, did miraculous signs, taught people, poured into people, loved people. And then he went to the cross to pay a debt he didn't owe. The most amazing act of generosity is shown in the person of Christ. But see, God loves a cheerful giver, not just because of Christ, not just following the patterns of Christ as Christ's followers, but also it helps move his story forward, right? If we give generously, if this churches give generously, if we support each other and move forward, what do we get to do? We get to share the story of Christ to more and more and more people and serve more and more and more people. Now, as Paul says this, you can kind of just hear the, the air leave the room, Right? Because every time we talk about money, it's just kind of like, I don't like this too much. It's uncomfortable. And it is, right? It is uncomfortable. And Paul understands that. He understands there's fear attached to all this. And so he begins to speak into that fear. And this is what he says. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance. So that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. So he says, don't be scared. God can give to you above what you need. And why does he do this? So you can share in the work, right? So from the overflow of what you have, you actually can pour that and be generous onto other people and care for other people. In fact, as, as Americans, we get this, right? If we take an honest assessment, if we look at the numbers, we live in abundance. You guys might not know this, but the, the lowest tier that, that, that we categorize as the poor in America on a global scale, they're the 1%. The poorest people in America are rich to everyone else on the globe. We live in abundance. Now, why would God bless us? Because he loves us? He loves everybody. He blesses us so we can bless others. We can share in his work. Well, Paul continues. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Paul once again speaks into this fear, right? God provides everything. That's what he's saying. God provides everything to you. Your talent, your treasure, your personality, everything that you own is from God. So why'd you be scared? Why would you be fearful? He's going to continue to provide for you. And then Paul makes a shift. He's going to make a shift here. He's, he's answered the fears. He's answered the concerns. And now he's going to move on to the benefits of being generous. And this is what he says. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. 
for the rendering of this ministry and not only supplies, this rendering of the ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. So he says, it's going to bring something into your life. The first thing, it's going to enrich you, right? It's going to make you better at life, right? If you are a generous person, you will be enriched. But it has a, a second thing that it accomplishes, right? It pours into the church. It pours into the ability for us to make an impact in our area for the city of Corinth. It was to make an impact in other churches and to impact the community into where God had uniquely placed them. And the whole thing is wrapped up in this, that when we do this, we show our thanksgiving to God for what he has given us and for what he has done. Well, Paul moves on. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others. You see, Paul says, this is also a test. It's a difficult test, but it's super easy to grade. Right? You just pull out your bank account. Start highlighting. Where did this go? 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 When we look at that, it gives us a pretty clear assessment of where our heart is, right? Where our passions are, what we love, what we want to invest into. So Paul says, this is a difficult test, but it's super easy to grade. You just take a look. Well, he moves on. While they long for you and pray for you, because of the surpassing grace of God that he has given you. So Paul moves on to another layer of benefit. And we all get kind of why this works this way, right? It says, if you're generous, people will long for you and pray for you. And we all know why, don't we? Because we all have somebody in our life, or maybe used to be in our life, who was not a generous person, right? You go out to lunch and after five times in a row, you've realized you paid the bill every time. You stopped going out to lunch with that person, didn't you? Right? You didn't want to be around that person because they weren't a generous person. And it was hard to pray for them. It was hard to care for them. It was hard to love them because they were not a generous person. However, all of us hopefully have somebody in our lives who's incredibly generous. Right? The person who always wrestles the bill out of our hands, even though we'd be willing to pay. The person who's blessed us beyond understanding. The person who loves us more than we deserve. Right? That generous person in our life. Guess who you want to be around? The generous person. Guess who you want to pray for? The generous person. It doesn't take effort. I mean, you just think about them all the time. You pray for them. You love them. You want to be around them because they're generous. Well, Paul closes with this. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You see, after this whole conversation, Paul points it back in the direction in which it should go. You see, the indescribable gift is Jesus. It's his work. It's his sacrifice. Paying the bill that all of us owed. You see, that's the point of our generosity. That's the point of our generosity in our lives. To allow the world to see Christ. Well, as we close up this conversation, we're left with our question. The question we've been wrestling with week in and week out, right? How do we erase envy? We know it's destructive. We know it's stealing our happiness and joy. So, so how do we get rid of it? Well, the answer you already know, right? You already know where this is going. You already know what's about to pop up on the screen. We've been talking about it. It's this. Give generously. It's not easy, 
but it's easy to understand. You see, when you walked into your doctor's office, he looked at you and he said, look, all you have to do is do the opposite of what you've been doing. So you watch the scale go up, so you do the opposite and you watch the scale go down, right? All you have to do is eat less and work out more. So easy. It's not easy. It's hard, but it works. In the same way, if envy is wanting what other people have, the opposite is giving from the blessings that God has given us. It's not easy, but it works. And if you put this into practice in your life, you will begin to erase envy. Amen. The way is